0: If you would, take your copy of God's Word and open up to Revelation chapter 21 this morning. Revelation 21. Jumping back in here towards the end. But everything has been moving towards this moment. Not only in history, as John sees visions of the future, but even as we look towards this conclusion of really this whole book and vision that John is given. So we're going to read. It'll be a little bit long, um, but I think it'll set us well um, into the mindset as we look towards verse 9 through those first five verses of chapter 22. Everything here is this topic of the, the New Jerusalem or this idea of, of, we kind of use a general term of heaven, we'll talk about that in a moment, but what is it going to look like? What is it going to contain? What is going to be there and what is not going to be there? So look with me, Revelation 21. Starting in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who have the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her brilliance was like precious stone, as a stone of crystal-clear jasper. It had a great and high wall. It had twelve gates, and at those gates, twelve angels. And names have been written on those gates, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to human measurements, which were also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like pure glass the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardinx, the sixth, sardis, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysophis, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no sanctuary in it, for the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be closed by day, for there will be no night there. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing defiled, and no one who practices abomination And lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will be no longer any curse. And the Lamb, or in the throne of God and of the Lamb, will be in it. And his slaves will serve him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Father, we do long and look forward to this place, Lord, where more than anything, even though we see all the physical appearances and the ideas of, from a human perspective, things that are beautiful and brilliant and glorious. It is you who ultimately give its light, give it, your glory gives it light as we look towards this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven onto the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, encourage us this morning, Lord, as we look at what your word has to say about the ultimate destination of those who are yours. We just ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as human beings, we tend to look at everything in comparison. I'm sure many of you have looked out, and if you you live in Gretna at all, or you drive down the highway, you'll see there used to be a couple tennis courts. But tennis is out, and pickleball is in. And I know nothing about pickleball, because I have four boys, you know, 11 down to age two, so I don't know kind of what that looks like to go out and hang out and play fun pickleball. Um, but what I do know is it looks a lot like tennis, Right? And so, if anyone's trying to explain to me pickleball, the scoring or anything, they're like, well, it's just like tennis, except it's like this. That's how we learn. That's how we compare when I explain things to my children. And you say, it's like this, but just a little bit different. You try to build on their understanding with things they know and compare it or correspond it to things that they do know. If you're kind of looking out and, and watching different sports around the world, and you look at a sport, for example, like cricket. I don't I know it's got a ball, I know it's got a bat, and it's, to me, someone's saying it's, it's a lot like baseball to the American. Well, when we think of heaven, it's no different. It's this idea of we're, we're left with words that we can use to kind of compare even the, the foundation stones, this picture of beauty and brilliance, but you can't really, I don't think, understand or do it justice without the experiential element. I'm never going to really understand, and maybe I would love pickleball if I ever play it. But until I get there and get and play it, I can't tell you in any real sense how great the game really is. And I think the same true as heaven. And so any sermon that looks at this, we're, we're limited, and that's a good thing because my imagination is not that good, and it's not gospel truth. It's not the word of God. We're limited to what God has revealed, and He has revealed some things that are there, and He's revealed some things that are not there. And so we're going to see what the Bible does have to say, and that should encourage us. But understand, this is also something you won't fully understand until you get there. As you look at the book of Revelation, and we've kind of marched through, and you've seen all the different judgments, especially since chapter 6, right? Judgment, judgment, judgment. And it's all moving towards, and you kind of get to a place where you see the millennial reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years, and it starts to you can picture of this glory. But yet, there's still an expectation of something to come. I don't know about you, but that's kind of one of those, I guess, devotional things that I have pondered. That even in, and I believe the church is raptured, and I believe the church in the millennial reign is reigning with Christ, and we're in our perfected bodies, yet in perfection, expectation towards the new heavens and the new earth, expectation towards this final realm, this new Jerusalem coming down of heaven, is is still there. We're still going to be waiting with expectation. And so in that way, even waiting and expectation is not necessarily something that is wrong or bad. Or even as we'll look and maybe even entertain that question a little bit this morning of this idea of your picture of heaven because you're going to have a picture of, well, maybe it's like this or maybe it's like that. So many have a picture of kind of, maybe that's even my earliest picture is probably a cartoon of someone sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And of course, every young boy says, that looks really boring. But even in this millennial reign with perfected bodies of the church, reigning with Christ, there's still an expectation, a hope. We don't stop living, right? Living just begins. You're not going to get bored in heaven. You're not going to get bored in the millennium. There's still going to be an endless amount of looking at the character and the perfection of God. I've been accused at times by my wife and others that I, I tend to kind of get into things or pick up things and then I kind of really get in and Google's terrible for if you have a certain personality type because you you can research and you want to get a little bit deeper and know more about that. And then you kind of get to the bottom and you kind of mine it. And now I feel like I've maybe known it or mastered that topic or that sport. And then you kind of move on. And so there's a few things sitting, collecting dust in my house that used to be hobbies. Again, heaven's not going to be like that. You're you're not ever going to exhaust it. You're never going to learn. It's going to be this ever, never-ending learning, growing, as you look in the glorious glory of God and Christ the Lamb, as we'll see this morning. So let's look together here at this passage here, starting in verse 9 of chapter 21. Where we've been is that you have the end of the millennial that Satan has, of course, been released, and he establishes the army tries to take on foolishly the God of heaven, and quickly he is crushed. And you see the second death in their throne, not only the prophet, and the beasts who have already been at the beginning of the thrown into the lake of fire. But Satan himself and even death and all those that follow him are thrown into this eternal death of the lake of fire. And then the beginning of verse 1 of 21 is there is a new heavens and a new earth. And here is this idea of heaven. And we've, that's kind of how I titled this. of what, what is heaven? You see different uses. Is it the, the heaven that the sky, that the, the birds fly in? Or is this the heavens above of the stars and the moon and the sun? Or this idea of a new Jerusalem that is heavenly. That is what we think of as heaven. And here I think you see a new heavens and a new earth. It, it's this whole new order of things established. Reordered from the beginning of Genesis. Which created is recreated. You can say it's uncreated and then it's recreated. And then out of that we're going to see descending on it is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Descending out of heaven coming down from heaven here in verse 10. And so there is a new heavenly body, there is a new earth, but in there, there is a new capital, there is a new city that comes down from heaven. And we looked a little bit, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, at that. But asking this question, what is in heaven? I want to begin by looking at the text here in verse 9 and just trying to wrap our arms around this idea of brilliant beauty, radiant beauty, brilliant beauty. Everything here is used in this metaphor of a of a bride. And when everyone gets ready for that wedding, and I've done a few and I'm standing up front, you, you have the bride enter and everyone looks back and everyone stands and looks towards the radiance of the bride. It's that picture here in verse 9. It says that one of the seven angels, so one of the angels that had brought the, the seven plagues comes and he and the spirit brings him to another vision and he says come here and i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb so often we've seen who is the bride of the lamb and we think well ephesians it's the church but here it seems to be that it encompasses not only the church but this whole city and all of god's people because if the topic you could say of being addressed is i'm going to show you the wife the bride of the lamb And then he goes in in verse 10, and it's all about the city of the new Jerusalem. And so that seems to be just another description here of this picture. Yes, a city's not a bride. A city's not a wife. That's not the point here. It's to say it is like that. It is adorned. It has been, we've been waiting for it, waiting for it. And now here's the wedding day, and the bride comes down out of heaven. And so verse 10, he carries me away in the spirit. Same language from the early chapters of Revelation. To a great mountain high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, And what does it have? It has the glory of God. So when we think of heaven today, when you die, this is where you go to heaven, to be with Christ, to be with His people. And out of this is going to come down from there, and it's going to come down to the earth, and God will dwell with us as we will see. And her brilliance will be like precious stone as a stone of crystal-clear Jasper. We're going to look at stones for a moment here, um, as you see later in this text. But not all of these corresponds to how we understand them. And I guess the point, again, is this idea of colors and brilliance and radiance and clarity. And that's why I want to kind of just encompass it with this brilliant beauty that we see here. We looked before at Hebrews chapter 11 a couple weeks ago. We saw that this is a Jerusalem that was expected even Abraham, it says in Hebrews 11, verse 9, By faith Abraham journeyed in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So this is God's city descending from heaven. And later in Hebrews it goes on to say, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So this isn't the city of Jerusalem as you think of it today today. But there is one that is heavenly. Say the real one. The one that is on this earth is simply a shadow. And the substance is this heavenly Jerusalem. And to the myriads of angels. The festal gatherings. Assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. Which you're going to see is established and inaugurated. and And commemorated in this new Jerusalem. And to the sprinkled blood. Which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It is this brilliant beauty that you see. It's this brilliance like a precious stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. And you're going to see that as kind of a theme throughout. That is is something thats clear it has been suggested and it makes sense to me that that's because the glory of God is kind of refracting or reflecting like a diamond. That it's clear and everything is moving all around. Yet there are colors and shades and, and beauty as described by these different stones. This brilliant beauty. The city's not a bride, but it takes on the characteristics of those that inhabit it. If you flip down there to verse 18, we're going to learn, we're going to see this, and we're going to kind of jump around a little bit to kind of get what is in heaven first and then what is not. But it says, what is there is materials. It says, the wall is made of these brilliant, beautiful things. The jasper, that's clear. The city was a pure gold, like pure glass. So like the gold that you know, but pure. Also, not like the gold you know, because it's clear like glass. And as we'll see, there's going to be foundation stones. And those, again, are beautiful as well. They're described here as being adorned with every kind of precious stone. Again, the point isn't so much what is each one, but that they they build this beauty and brilliance that you can't quite even imagine in your mind. So you take what you know as diamonds and rubies and jewels and take it to infinity and you can't quite yet still grasp without experiencing it i just want to look quickly at verse 19 20 and 21 and not get into some uh, lesson on gemology but it is to say just to look at one commentary if you're wondering what are these different kinds of precious stones and so the point is there is a variety but jasper is an opaque dense silica material mineral showing various colors from red to brownish red. Again, clear. Sapphire here is the the non-variety of corundum. The red variety is ruby. Sapphire is often blue, but also appears as orange, pink, golden, white, and black, which again, which is why it's hard to grasp what exactly here, except for that all these beautiful reflections and light shining through. Chalcedony is finely crystallized or... Fibrous quartz that varies in color from a pale blue, yellow, brown, or gray. It has a wax-like luster. Emerald, I'm sure you're more familiar with. A grass-green variety of beryl. Sardonyx is an onyx consisting of alternate parallel layers of sard, a deep orange-red. Sardius is an opaque orange-red, almost a blood-red or brown variety of calcidine. Crystallite is... A transparent green barrel is colourless in its pure form, but ranges in colors, including green, blue, blue, green, yellow, greenish gold, red, pink. Even aquamarine. Transparent. Topaz. Colorless at times, but it can occur as well with yellow, blue, pink, peach, gold, green, red, brown. Jason, orange variety of Zircon, That is a silicate mineral. Amethyst is purple. It's a transparent mineral quartz with this kind of hue from reddish purple to bluish purple. And it gives you just an idea of it's all the variety of every color you can imagine in combination that is reflecting as the glory of God seems to be pouring out into this city. Just a brilliant, beautiful description of what this city will look like that God has built in heaven that is now descending on the new heavens and the new earth. As I said, the closest thing I can imagine is the idea of of diamonds. And everyone who has kind of gone down that road and if you as a man are looking to get engaged and you buy a girl an engagement ring and it has a diamond on it, you learn all those different things. Things that make it more valuable whether it's the cut or the clarity or the color or of course the size four C's the carrot but they're supposed to be and as I got into that I remember when I bought Ashley her, her ring probably oversold me you know to spend more money but it was like look at this diamond and look how much more it reflects than this diamond and of course it's more expensive and then of course you don't want to go cheap right but it's there and you can see it and it goes value. Value goes up. The point here is this brilliance beauty of color and reflection to a way in which we might know something where maybe you're in a cave and the light reflects everything. But this is beyond what we can imagine, as is described here with all these brilliance of stones and colors that we see in nature. It's simply brilliant beauty that describes all of heaven. Heaven. Secondly, what else is there? A reminder of God's covenant love. If you look at verse 12, it goes on to say, What is there is a description of his love engraved on both the gates and the foundation stones. It says, verse 12, that it had a great and a high wall. It had 12 gates, and those gates, 12 angels. They're not there guarding because there's nothing evil about to get in, but they're there to serve. And the names have been written on those gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three gates on the west, which of course is implying what we already have seen, which is it is a square. And so at every corner, there are these different gates with the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. Why are they there? It's a reminder of God's covenant love for Israel, that he worked through them, that the Messiah came from their love, or you could say a general understanding of the old covenant. God was faithful. He was faithful to Israel, faithful to them, and to give them a new covenant, a new heart. And it's commemorated there in this very city of how God has worked. So there's many covenants in the Bible, but you understand here, this relationship to Israel is important even for all eternity, that you understand how God has worked and brought about the Messiah. Even a sense in which you wonder, what what amount of history do we remember or is celebrated in heaven, well, at least there seems to be this understanding here that what happens in this life does matter and is even remembered of looking back at what God has done in the past through Israel. He goes on describing the kind of physical dimensions of this, and the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod, and he's going to lay it out and he's going to measure, and it's this idea of 12,000 stadia or 1,500 miles. And so, yes, it's a square, but it's even cube like because it's 1,500 miles wide. It's 1,500 miles long, and it's even 1,500 miles high. There's actually quite a bit written on the, um, the dimensions and how is it all possible. And, of course, I'm kind of going in, I'm not too into it because I understand this is a new heavens and a new earth. Some assumptions even of gravity and everything, I'm not 100% sure we can carry those over. Clearly, there's some correspondences we've seen. But however it works, it's a new order of things. Does 1,500 miles high seem pretty high to you for a city? Yes. I think it'll work out just fine. All I know is it's large, which is good because this is a place where people are going in and out celebrating what God has done. The material, as we've seen, is of all this pure things. But the wall of the city, verse 14, not only do you see those gates, but you see... As well, the new covenant described. Of the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The reminder of not only God's love for his people in the old covenant. But of course, it was moving towards blessing. Not just Israel, but all the nations in his love for the church. And so you see the 12 apostles' names inscribed. They are the foundation upon which the church, of course, is built. Which the rock is Christ. So that reminder is there. Of what the Lamb has done for all eternity through the church. So, brilliant beauty, reminder of what Christ has done, and also this promise of life everlasting. There's a question, even as you get, especially with the millennial reign, where there is still sin in that sense of people are being born, there's still depravity. We're going to see that's no longer there soon, but it is to say, Can we lose what we have gained? And you go back all the way to the garden, and there was not only the tree of life, but there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the concern was that Adam and Eve would eat of the tree of life. And God did not allow that. Why? Because he did not want there to be the eternal consequences, but to give hope, to send a savior. But now the Savior has come and everything has culminated in the the reign of Christ and this new Jerusalem descending down. And we're going to see that life everlasting described by the true water of life and the tree of life. If you look at chapter 22, it says, then he showed me, so same vision here, he showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so the picture here is of a river flowing from the throne of God that's bright as crystal in the middle of the street. And either there's two trees of life, or they look differently than the trees that we know, because they're on both, one tree's on both sides. I don't know how that could work. It could be one tree. It could be two trees. But the point is that the tree of life is there, and there's not an implication necessarily here that we'll eat from it, but I think it's seemingly implied, especially because the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Even it's interesting that it yields fruit every month, and whether he just uses what we understand in time there, or there is some marking of time in eternity, we, I'm not going to die on that hill. But he does note that it yields fruit continually every single month. This idea of healing of the nations is, is a picture here of not that there's something that needs to be healed. There's no disease. There's no brokenness in this new Jerusalem. But it's this idea of that it is enhancing life. If you really look at um, the, the Greek word there, it, it is enhancing life. It, it's the word that we get our word therapeutic from. Health giving, life giving. It would seem that it enhances the way that we live throughout Eternity. Not only the the water, but also the fruit. You can't help but be reminded and understanding of the water that Christ has promised those of us who come after Him, that follow Him, that repent and turn to Christ. The woman at the well, that's the language, that's the picture. And for those who have been wondering, I have people ask about what we're going to preach next. I'm looking at preaching the gospel of John. And you've got to love all the pictures. Especially even just, it's so interesting to see the same author. But these pictures, of course, that Christ gives. Jesus answers, it says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink? You would have asked, and he would have given you living water. Which, of course, they're talking about a well, they're talking about H2O. And Jesus is not talking about H2O. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank of it himself for his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. You've got to love the Gospels, and I'm excited to get back there. The way Christ teaches and says, look, you drink that, and then you get dehydrated. because It's so hot outside, and you need more. thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never thirst ever but that water that i give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life it's that promise of life everlasting what is there life everlasting of which there will be no fall there will be no future curse it's a promise of life and life everlasting in fact Jesus said later in John, John 7, that that last day, so we kind of, we're in that right. we're talking about the last days, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus has not yet been glorified living water that comes through the gospel of christ and through him and him alone and so you see what is there we don't know everything but it'll be more than you can imagine it'll be more beautiful there'll be reminders of what christ has done through his people throughout history and the reminders and the promise of life everlasting but there's also here throughout this passage that we read things that are very descriptive of heaven, and what's not there, and what's not there, we can see in verse 22, is that there is no sanctuary. In that that vision, John says, I saw no sanctuary in it, verse 22, for the God, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. There's no need to have a sanctuary. There's no need to have the temple kind of come over from that millennial temple why because now that God in heaven has descended onto the earth itself the city is there and he is there and there is no need we will commune with God in and out just the way that he intended from the beginning in the garden just like Adam and Eve to walk with him to have a relationship with him there is no sanctuary there is no temple constant access to God the Father through Christ at all times. There's no need because there's no sin, there's no depravity. So we can have a relationship that is perfect with Him at all times. So, no need for no sanctuary because God Himself and the Lamb are its sanctuary. But with that, we're going to see that there is no depravity. There's no sanctuary, but there's also no depravity, which means there's no sinful humanity. The the curses we'll see, has been removed. Go down to verse 27. No one there, because they have all been dealt with, will infiltrate. No Satan, no wicked humanity. Yes, every one of us, as Paul says, have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned, but only those who have had their sin paid for by the death of Christ will enter into this new heavens and there will be no depravity. Nothing, it says, verse 27, defiled and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's no sanctuary, partially because there's no need for it, because there's no sin and no depraved people that need a sanctuary, some kind of intercessor at that point, because we have God himself and the Lamb. So there's no sanctuary, there's no depravity. And then thirdly, we'll see the beginning verses of 22, that there is no curse. You could talk about this one for a while, because the idea of going back to Genesis chapter 3 and the curse and the fall, pretty much everything we look at that is difficult and is painful and is destructive, you can start to look back and go... We live in a cursed and fallen world. And when it says there will be no longer any curse, you can just fill in the blank what will not be there. The new heavens and the earth, new earth will, will not be cursed, will not be defiled by sin. There's no curse in the way that we look at the ground and work. There'll be no longer any curse, it says. And yet it goes on to say that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Which, of course, God cannot stand sin, and therefore, there can be no curse. And he's saying, who will be there? The throne of God will be there. The lamb will be in it. And his slaves, that's you and I, will serve him. And because there's no curse, because there's no sin, we will see, it says, his face. Which, if you go to the Old Testament, you go back to Moses, and, I mean, he had to be hid in the cleft of the rock can't see his face and his name will be on their foreheads that is he will be theirs there's that ownership piece of who is who owns who the foreheads will be marked and there'll be no longer any separation no longer no curse no death no mourning no separation at all Well, if there's no need for any of those things, we're going to see there's even no need for night. So, no sanctuary, no depravity, no curse, and there is no night. There's no need to rest. There's no need for sleep. There's no need in this new order. It doesn't necessarily say, as we'll see here, that there's no sun and no moon. Just if they're there, they they don't do. If even if they're, they're doing what they do now. There will always be light here in the New Jerusalem because the Lamb dwells there. It's not the way the Greek works, but you've got to love it in English. There's no need for a lamp because there is the Lamb. Look at verse 23 through 26. It says, The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And the Lamb is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. This idea of nations, people wonder what it will look like and will there be nations. And there could be in in some sense of which the way God has designed them even today. But of course it will be purified and perfect in every way. Or it could even mean here, as some have argued, that the nations are the way the Old Testament talks. That It's more just talking about the general Gentiles, the people. Those that live among the earth are going to walk into the city, walk out of the city. But this idea even there is some operation that we're familiar with. Kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Again, we don't know exactly how it all works, except for what it does say is there is going to be no night. And that means no sleep, no need to close for the day. Verse 25, the gates will never be closed by day, for there'll be no night there. And what is this idea is it'll be constant bringing glory and honor into it, from the people, from the nations. Verse 26. Constant glory being given to God. Unique in its own way. And again, I don't think there's, there's no boredom here. Whatever's going on in the new heavens the earth is something productive and something that will spark your imagination and your, your ability to grow. And how does that work in perfection? I don't know, except for to say we are creatures and he is a creator and we will never, even in eternity, come to fully understand who and what he is and will be fulfilled in every way as we bring him glory and honor in the different things that we do throughout all eternity. Verse 5 says there will, chapter 22, it again reiterates that idea, there will be no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever. pretty good promise, pretty thing, good thing to look forward to. A reminder, you see that idea of water, everlasting water, and even in John multiple times he talks about that Christ is the light of the world. He's going to give light to the world through the gospel, but that of course is still, in many ways, in sinful, defiled human hearts, Romans chapter 1, people suppress the truth of God, but no longer here, it'll be shining no suppression, there'll be no depravity, therefore there is no darkness, and you will see the light of Christ brilliantly forever. First, John 1, 5 says, and this is the message. So you think of the message, the gospel, the message of the church, the good news of Christ. We have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Where does the darkness come from? It's not from him. And therefore, when you have a perfect new world, new heavens, a new earth, and this perfect capital city descending, there will be no night. There will be no darkness. Christ will be the light. I think of Hebrews chapter 4. I think of Hebrews chapter 4, and it talks about the Sabbath rest that uh, we, even as the believers, we have a rest, but it's not on the seventh day. It's an eternal rest that comes through what Christ has done for us. But that eternal rest is not rest from activity. Like I said, as you look at heaven, there are things we know and things we don't know, but it seems to be it's not a place of inactivity, right? People are going into the city, out of the city. I believe there was perfection of where you will enjoy what you do and there'll be creative powers at play, giving God glory uniquely in the way each of us is made, but of course, perfectly perfectly. So it's not eternal rest from activity. That isn't to say in that idea of, right, no, people give retirement a hard time because, well, what am I going to do? Nothing? Well, of course, probably people who are most happy when they retire from a job, it's because they are retiring to do something. And same thing here. You don't, you don't die to stop doing things. You're, you're resting from something else. And what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 4, what you are resting from is from your works. That is, when you understand the gospel, the good news, and what it means to be written in the Lamb's book of life, is that you have trusted in what Christ has done. You've trusted in His work on the cross. And so you have now ceased from trying to earn your way into heaven. And you trust that He has done it for you, and you put your trust in what He has done. And you rest. Not being inactive... You don't get saved and stop doing, right? You, you actually get saved just so you can start serving. But it is a rest from trying to earn your favor with God, trying to earn favor apart from Christ. Because you never can. There's, you're never going to do enough good. You're never going to be a good enough person. And so you need someone to save you from that endless kind of wheel of trying to be better and be try harder. And recognize you can rest from that and you can start working for Christ. And of course, perfectly, you'll see here in the New Jerusalem that that's exactly what's going to happen here. So as you look at this and you see this idea of what we've seen of what what is here, I hope you're encouraged by this. I know I am as you look towards heaven and long for it. There's lots of things that are, are not right. There's lots of days of being tired and weary And so, not only of what is there, but even these things of what's not there. My relationship with Christ will be perfect. There are no more good days and bad days. I think you've all been there. Good weeks and bad weeks. Even pastors have bad days, bad weeks, you know, bad months. There'll be no need for... It'll be different even for the believer. Yes, we have his spirit, but it'll be different in that we will see him face to face, even as the New Testament says. No depravity, how beautiful and wonderful that will be. And no curse that causes so much pain. And even this idea of night. I think I'm old enough not to be afraid of the dark, but I'll find any comfort in the night. That there'll be light and truth at all times times as the lamb magnifies everything and just kind of being this beautiful picture of every color you can imagine throughout all of heaven and so as we look at this hope oh, you have a better more biblical picture of what heaven is like it's it's not going to be you on a cloud playing a harp there's activity It's a city, people coming in, people giving out. There's something being done that gives glory, something being done that is given as honor. Perfectly. And if you look at this and you go, this morning you don't know where you are at spiritually, if that is not the destination that you have, then you need a new destination through the gospel. You need a new destination of understanding what Christ has done. The call to repent and believe. Rest from your works, as Hebrews says. Trust in what Christ has done. To know for sure that you will be there, written in the Lamb's book of life. Because clearly there are those who are not there. There's no way around that, whether you get to the end of chapter uh, 20 or here in the end of chapter 21. There are those who are not there. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if this new Jerusalem this new capital city of the whole earth new heavens and new earth is your destination then you and I ought to live like it. Think about goals. What are you going to do for 2023 or 2024? What's your 5-year plan or what's your 3-year plan? We we do those things because we have an end in mind. We're trying to get somewhere. I think too often for the church, we forget this is the destination. This is where the ticket is going. And it should it impact the way you think? Really, it should impact even the way you feel. We get anxious and worry about things of this life, and it's a reminder, we're simply sojourners. The no sanctuary, no depravity, no curse, no night. Those are not true, yet those are future but the hope in those future promises that God has promised give us hope and give us encouragement. They should spur us on and encourage us to live in a way that honors Him, that when we get here, when we see Him, that you would get the statement that everyone desires. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, as we look here, and we see all of this described. The things that we may think of in our own minds of what is heaven like? Pictures of joy and, and happiness so often impacted by things of this world that are self-serving. You hear phrases such as a, a place where Dreams come true. And Lord, we know that is not true. Heaven is not about us. It is about you. It is about you being magnified. You being glorified. So help us keep that in focus this day and this coming week. Even as we sing together, being reminded that there is no higher throne that all glory, all wisdom, all power, strength, thanks, and honor are yours. You are the king. You are the one who reigns on high forevermore. We just pray this in your son's name. Amen.